All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to go ahead and open up. We are in First Peter um, this week and actually next week, First Peter chapter 4, and we will be looking together at uh, verses 7 um, through 11. Uh, specifically today, we're just going to be focusing on verse 7, though, just verse 7. Um, if you're new here to Parkview, or just as a reminder, our mission is that Parkview Church exists to glorify God through the whole church, forming whole disciples for the good of all people. And the language there, the whole church, forming whole disciples, is very intentional. It's kind of designed to be a little unique, um, so to speak. But uh, the idea is that we want to produce uh, men and women who grow in maturity in Christ, whole disciples, every aspect of our life brought underneath the reign of King Jesus. And so one of the ways that we've used to talk about what this idea of whole discipleship looks like it's, is we want to form individuals who learn Christ, who love Christ, and who live Christ. So your minds are engaged, actively growing in your understanding of who Jesus is, all that he has done for you. Your heart is actively is engaged, is drawn to Christ. And, and day by day, week by de- week, we grow in our affection and in our love for Christ. And it doesn't just stop there. It also is impacted the way that we actually live our lives. So our, our hands, our hearts, sorry, our head, our hearts, and our hands are actively involved in serving Jesus, okay? We live and grow in obedience. We want to be whole disciples. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series called Whole Disciples. And what we're looking at specifically is different habits of Christ's people. These are not all of the habits, but specific habits that, that we as Christ's people, uh, that God uses in our life, gives us in our life, and helps form us to become whole disciples. So we started off the series by looking at specifically Sunday morning worship. And kind of the argument there is that what we do here on Sunday mornings, it matters, It's a priority, and it's formative in nature. So everything from the call to worship to the benediction at the end, we use strategically, week by week, to shape us and to form us into the people that God has called us to be. So when Elder Brother Len comes up here and and leads us in a time of confession, that is a, a useful, formative practice. It reminds us, it humbles us, and reminds us of our great need for God and His grace and His mercy. It's it's formative in nature. And while sometimes you may think, okay, there's, we come here every Sunday and we do the same thing over and over and over again. Guess what? We do that for a reason, because it forms us. We believe that those practices actually give shape and form to who we are as a people. Last week as a church, uh, we did not meet here in worship because of extreme cold and crazy amounts of snow the day before. And so, however, we did worship at Central Campus. And if you were able to tune in with that, you know, David, uh, Pastor Foster led us in a message um, through Psalm 1 as we considered the, the relationship of the Christian and the Bible and how necessary it is for God's people to be formed and shaped by primarily by God's word, as he speaks to us through his word. This week, the, the, the habit that we are focusing on, that we see here in the text in verse 7 of chapter Peter, verse, chapter 4, of First Peter chapter 4, is um, the idea of prayer. We've already talked a little bit about it. We've already had an, an opportunity to practice it. This morning's focus is on prayer. I'm just going to read verse 7 one more time, and then I will pray as we jump in here. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. One more time. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, 
Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come together this morning as your people. And our prayer is very simple, Lord, that you would take this word, which we know to be eternal, which we believe to be true, Lord, would you write it on our hearts, and would you use your word this morning, just as it comes to us, to form and to shape us into the people that you have called and you have made us to be. Lord, I pray you would take this word, and would you write it on our very hearts. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, when time is running out, you had better be focused. When time is running out, you had better be focused. When, when time is short, two operating principles tend to kick in, simplicity and urgency. When loved ones discover that they are approaching the end of their life, um, relationships take center stage. Schedules become simplified around those relationships. Uh, a little over a year ago, when derecho was blowing through our community, um, it was not the time to bust out the croquet set, okay? Rather, it was the time to take cover. Uh, when Anthony Rizzo stands up, former Chicago Cub, stands up to the plate and he gets two strikes on him, he historically and repeatedly chokes up on the bat. It's time for him with two strikes to shorten his swing, to make contact. Things become, in the batter box, with two strikes on you, very simple. A uh, number of years ago, when I was in junior high, I was playing basketball, okay? And uh, one of the only times in junior high where I was any sort of a hero, there was very few seconds left on, our clock, on the clock. Our team was down by two, and its ball is in our hands, one of my teammates, the best uh, player that we have, of course, you get the ball in his hands. And so he gets the ball in his hands and he drives to the basket. Wouldn't you know, it's foul. A foul is called. And so they put our best shooter at the line and he stands there. And there's only one ref in junior high at this time. There's only one ref in this game. And he's standing at midcourt trying to get the best uh, view of what is happening. And, and our, our, our player is at the line. He shoots two shots. He shoots the first one, swish, he makes it. The other team tries to ice him, calls timeout. You know, we get back on the line. I'm standing there ready to get this rebound just in case he misses it. There's no chance he's missing it, right? Well, what do you know? He shoots it. He bricks it. The ball falls in the hand. There's like five seconds, I don't know, left in the clock. Ball falls in the hand of, our, of the, the opposing team. Now I'm standing there next to this individual and there's only five seconds and they keep ticking away. And so I just completely assault this young man, all right? Totally assault him. He coughs up the ball into my hands. No foul is called. I shoot, ball goes in, victorious, right? When time is short, you get focused by any means necessary. Well, the same principle applies in Scripture as we consider the end times, the last days. Over and over again throughout the Bible, we learn that the end is at hand. The end is near. Time is short. And as a result, because of this truth, simplicity and urgency are required from us. In 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, we discover that this focused living 
we discover what it should look like in the life of a Christian in the last days. What we discover as we read these verses is not a call to sort of fanatical living, but rather a picture of really the essentials of Christian living, the, the basic aspects of Christian faithfulness. It, this is not a call in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 to 11, to living fanatically, but it is a call to living faithfully. And so as you look at these verses, and we'll look at this text again next week, we kind of see four main calls here. There's a call to focused prayer. There's a call to earnest love. There's a call to gracious hospitality. And there is a call to faithful service. As I said earlier, our focus this morning is simply going to be on verse 7, focused prayer. And what we'll see in this verse and the argument that I want to make for you this morning is church, it is time to pray. What time is it? It's time to pray. Okay? So just a couple of points here. The first point is let's first identify what time it is. Let's set our clocks appropriately and accurately. What time is it? Verse 7, the first part of verse 7, simply says, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. What in the world does Peter mean when he says the end of all things is at hand? I mean, we are some 2,000 years later after these words are written, and as far as I can, as far as I can tell, we're still here, right? So, was he wrong? Was, did he misunderstand or misinterpret the times? No, he, he wasn't wrong. The, the phrase here literally translates, the goal of all things has come near. According to the Bible, the end has already begun. It, be, it began with Christ's resurrection and will be fully consummated upon his, upon Jesus' return. Therefore, we are living today, as Peter was then, in the final stages of history, the last days. Peter argued in the opening chapter of his letter, he, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times of our, for your sake. Indeed, he says, the end is at hand. Peter pictures Christ where he is right now at the right hand of the Father, awaiting one word from the Father, go. And his return will be sudden and unexpected. That was true some 2,000 years ago, and it is true today. In fact, in Acts, beginning book of uh, chapter of Acts, uh, Jesus is with his friends before his ascension. And we read this in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, asking Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said in verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Peter would have been there with the disciples when they had this interaction. So he would have heard Jesus' response and simply Jesus is telling him that his business was, was not to worry about the, the time or the, or the manner by which he would come back, but his business was in the meantime to do the master's work until he comes, to get busy spreading the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Peter, you are living in the final days. Church, so are we. The end of all things 
is at hand. That's what time it is. That's what time it is. Now, what we know is that belief about, belief about what time it is demands a particular response. It, it demands a particular lifestyle. We know this to be true. Our belief, and as we read the Bible, that our belief should, should shape and give direction towards our behavior. However, we often see this in the Christian life that there is, and if we are just honest with ourselves, which is the point of confession when we do it every week, it's an opportunity for us to be honest with ourselves before our God. If we're honest with ourselves, there is oftentimes, and this is one of the frustrating aspects of being a Christian, is that we can find in our own life a gap between our belief and our behavior. There's a gap between what we know to be true and how we choose to live. For example, when um, I have to give driving lessons to one of our young upcoming drivers and I'm in the passenger seat, maybe you found yourself in the same, you know, same situation at some point in your life, riding in the passenger seat with somebody who's learning how to drive. I know there's no brake on my side of the car. Okay, I know there's not, but it does not stop me from pushing my foot as hard as I can against the floor of my vehicle when it's time to stop, right? I know it's not going to do anything, but it doesn't change the fact that I continue to do it, right? When I stand there and wait for an elevator and I'm patiently waiting and I push the button to, you know, let the elevator know I'm patiently waiting for its arrival, I know it doesn't help for me to just keep pushing the button, Yet, guess what I keep doing? Pushing the button over and over and over again. Oftentimes, there is a gap between our belief and our behavior. And this is one of the frustrating aspects of living the Christian life. Peter's argument was that the unique period of time that they lived in, that we live in, necessitated a particular type of, of living. He is connecting the nearness of the end with the need to pray. And he's not the first person to do this, right? Jesus did the exact same thing. He, he taught that the end was near, therefore we need to pray. Luke 24, 36, 36. But stay awake at all times, Jesus says, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The, the nearness of the end connected with the need to pray. Do you believe? Do you believe in prayer? Just answer that question in your head quietly to yourself. Do you believe in prayer? Do you believe that it works? Second question. How's your prayer life? Honestly, I feel regularly like I am totally lousy at prayer. I don't know if you can relate. If I look back at the year, you know, 2021, and reflect on my prayer life, I think, I know, I have lots of room to grow. And I want to. I want to be a better prayer. You know why? Because I believe it works. I believe God gives it to us as a gift. I believe that he commands us to pray. 
And yet, if I'm just being honest, which I certainly hope I am every time I stand up here, I'm lousy at prayer. And my hope is that as a church, that we would all grow where prayer is concerned because I believe that we all have room to grow. Why are we lousy at prayer? Why are we lousy? Why are you lousy at prayer? Well, I think there's lots of different reasons. Maybe, maybe our belief isn't as strong as it could be that God actually works through prayer. Maybe we haven't seen it in our life. So the variety of reasons. When I think just specifically about the unique time that we live in, today's day and age, you know, I recognize that we live in an age full of distraction, an age full of distraction. There are the most powerful companies in the world are investing ridiculous amounts of money and making sure that you and I remain distracted by simple devices that we carry in our purses or in our pockets. Ridiculous amounts of money trying to capture our attention and distract us. That's the goal. That's what they try to do. And so as we consider just the need to grow in prayer, one of the first things, and we recognize the unique time that we live in, one of the first things that we have to do is limit our distractions. We live in a distracted culture and a distracted day and age. We need to limit our distractions. I think one of the other reasons that oftentimes we, we can um, tend to not pray as we ought is not just because this is a day of distraction. It's also an age of unprecedented security, especially here in the West. Where oftentimes we feel like we don't need anything outside of ourselves, right? That, that we live in unprecedented wealth marked by comfort and excess. We want more. We oftentimes are never satisfied. The newest, latest thing is always the first on our wish list. And to top it all off, we are very capable people. We are very resourceful people. One of the most ridiculous uses that this day and age would say, if you want a means by which you can, you can be satisfied in life, is to stop, get on your knees, and do nothing. Doesn't seem productive, doesn't seem efficient. Much of just the culture around us kicks against this idea that we actually need to go outside of ourselves, that we, need, we actually need help. So there's lots working against us. This morning what I want to do is I want to give, as we consider sort of this, this call for prayer, the need for prayer, the desire for us to grow in prayer, is I want to give us three reasons why prayer is vital, sort of three different definitions of what prayer is. And then I'm going to make space at the end of the, ser of the sermon for us to actually pray together as a church, okay? So what is prayer? First thing I want to present to you, I want to share with you this morning and challenge you, is to think of prayer as connection to God. This is the most obvious. If you think about a definition of prayer, this is easily the most obvious connection. This is where, or, or definition, where our minds go to first and foremost when we think of prayer. What is prayer? Simply talking to God. Paul Miller, in his book, Praying Life, says that prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. Think of prayer as connection to God. The New City Catechism, what we use here at Faith Academy to teach um, doctrine to, to the students here. When we ask the question, what is prayer? The response is this, and this is my favorite definition of prayer. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. What is prayer? Prayer is you simply opening up your heart and pouring it out to God. That's what prayer is. 
Prayer is, to be sure, our native language. It's our native language. It's the natural activity. By our very design, we were meant to live in communion, in connection, in close connection to God himself. We were made to be with God. If you're following along in your Bible reading plan that we're doing as a church, which I hope we have many of those at the back, we'd encourage you to take some and to to join us with that. You will see this very clearly this past week as we consider just the creation of man. In place, God places man in the garden to enjoy the full creation as intended. But not just was man to enjoy creation, but man was also made to enjoy the creator. To be in relationship, complete, unhindered communion with the creator himself. Obviously, sin came into the world, dislocated man from this position of connectedness to God. And the story of humanity since is being reconnected to God. Time is short, we know, so we must stay connected to God. I was thinking of just the countless military movies that I've watched over the years. And you always see in the middle of battle the, the need for communication with the, the troops who are on the front lines, with the, the commanding officers who are directing and who are seeing the battle in total view. They, they, they need to be connected. And oftentimes when it goes awry, when the battle gets, when it gets really hard and hope seems to be lost is when that connection is broken. Likewise, we as Christians live here in this world And we need, if we want any degree of success, navigating the world that God's placed us in, living the life he's called us to, we must stay, just like those troops, connected to our captain, to our commander, connected with him in the midst of the battle so we know what direction to go, so we know what we're supposed to be doing. And it's a recognition that things are not as they are supposed to be, that this world that we live in is broken, that we are fighting a battle. This reality, this truth should drive us as God's people to our knees. And it's when we're on our knees that we are really who we are. Robert Murray McShane says, when a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. It's when we're on our knees that we are our true selves. And it's important to remember as we think of prayer as connection to God, that as we think about just the desire to grow in prayer, that prayer is not the goal. Prayer is not the goal. God is. Prayer is a means to an end, not the end itself. The goal of praying is not to get really good at praying. <laughs> And even as I consider personally how I want to grow in prayer or corporately as a church, how we want to grow in prayer. The the desire to grow in prayer is not a desire to just be a good prayer, but to be with God and to be transformed by God. Godliness is ultimately the goal, not prayer. As a result, prayer is hands down one of the more important things that we can give our life to. It's a, it's a medium by which we experience and connect to God. So prayer is a means of being connected to God. Secondly, I want you to think of prayer as a means of resistance. Prayer is a means of resistance. And we see this especially, this idea of prayer as a means of resistance throughout the book of First Peter. Peter is concerned throughout his letter that the church maintains its alien identity. First Peter 2, 
verses 9 and 11. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And just a few verses ahead of this in verse two of chapter four. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. As we read, as you read through this letter, you will get this sense that Peter sees God's people in this sort of alien way. There's this alien identity that he refers to them as. In this world, but not of this world. is how we are supposed to live. And the reality is that the world around us wants to squeeze us, wants to form us and shape us, not in God's image, but in its image. And so as a people, we need to resist the temptation, the, the passions that lurk within us that, that actually want to be formed that way and not the way that God wants us to be formed. And so how do we resist? How do we resist the pressures of this world, the passions within us? How do we not give way to that formation and say yes to this formation? How? How do we resist the world around us? Simply through prayer. Matthew 26, we know the story of Jesus in the garden as he goes into the garden the night that he is ultimately arrested and led to the cross. He goes with his disciples and he, he goes with them and says, sit here, and he goes further to pray. And, and taking with him, he takes Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he goes even further yet and he says to them, remain and watch with me. If we're familiar with the story, we know that Jesus in this moment is full of sor sorrow his soul is deeply troubled. The reality of the situation is crashing in on him and Jesus, our Lord, falls on his face and he prays. He prays. He says, take this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We know as he goes back and he sees his disciples, he discovers that they are sleeping. In his darkest, loneliest, saddest hour, those closest to him are sleeping. They're sleeping. And he says to them this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What Jesus is calling his disciples to, what he's calling us to, is to recognize that our flesh is weak. And if we just trust in our own ability to resist the world's temptation, we will fall flat on our face every single time. But praise God, the Spirit is willing. Prayer is a means by which we cry out to the Spirit to be formed into the image and likeness of Christ, not of the world around us. Prayer is a means of resistance. Karl Barth says this, the clasping of the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. You may not think of prayer that way. I challenge you this week as you pray to think of every time you bow your heads, bend your knees and clasp your hands 
that you are invoking an uprising against the disorder of this world. It's exactly what it is. Eugene Peterson says, prayer is a subversive activity that involves a more or less open act of defiance against any claim by the current regime. Prayer is an act of defiance. It is a form of resistance. And it's one that we need to utilize. Finally, prayer is not just a means by which we are connected to God. It's also not just a means by which we resist the forces of this dark age, but it's also a means by which we ourselves are formed. It's formative in nature. It's, prayer is, see it as formation in Christ. We are, as I said earlier, creatures that are formed by habit, right? By rhythms, by routines, by repetition. And those habits, in many ways, they make us into who we are. And, and our prayer gives shape, ultimately, to what we believe. That's why we make such a big deal about praying prayers that are in the Bible. You, you wanna, if you want to start someplace, you say, I'm not very good at prayer. I want to grow in prayer. You will have a very hard time doing that without this book being open in front of you. This book is a, is a prayer Manual. Much can be said about how the Christian um, grows. You think of the different spiritual disciplines of, we talked earlier about corporate worship and the reading of the Bible, the, the structure and the flow of everything that we do here on Sunday mornings forms us. And this is true about prayer as well. The ancient church summed up this concept, the idea that we, that we um, can be formed and shaped by our prayers with the Latin phrase, lex orandae, Lex credendi, which means literally, so we pray, so we believe. A prayer life actually shapes and forms our beliefs. Again, that's why praying the Bible is so critical. And so what we want to do here this morning is we want to take time together as a church to pray. And thankfully, again, God doesn't just say, okay, go and pray. I mean, you think about the disciples. They watched him for years, and yet they, they still asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. What they could see is that Jesus was many things, and one of those things was he was a praying man. And they wanted to be praying people too, so they asked him to teach them how to pray. And when, when they asked that question, Jesus gave them a model of prayer. And that's what we're going to use this morning, so I think I have it in there, Wesley. There it is, our Lord's Prayer. We're going to use this this morning um, to just pray together as a people. And I'm going to kind of, we're going to kind of have three different movements this morning that we're going to do. Um, there's probably more like six, but just uh, for the sake of time, we're going to do, we're going to sort of do, uh, group it into three different sections. And so the first, the first section, um, just the first uh, portion of the prayer says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our first concern as we pray is glorifying God's name. What you see in the prayer is, is sort of a, a, a movement from, you know, head up in the sky reflecting on God and who he is. And the movement throughout the prayer gets more and more focused on human, your human current condition. And so the prayer moves sort of in that um, trajectory, and that's the way we're going we're gonna to do this this morning. And so uh, we're going to take some time here this morning. And again, it's going to be quiet, and quite honestly, quiet is good. <laughs> and it's rare um, in today's day and age. And so what better place to experience stillness and quiet than right here in the house of the Lord. And so the first thing we're going to do is I'm just going to give you space, a few minutes, 
um, to reflect on God's holiness, um, to draw your attention up um, and, and to ask God uh, that he would, even right now, make himself known to you. And so I'm going to give you just a few minutes to reflect on God, his nature, his holiness, to just be glorifying him. And you can do this quietly by yourself if you're here with a family member or a friend and you want to kind of link up together and just pray prayers of adoration to God, then you can do that now. If you want to just do it quietly by yourself, you're welcome to do that. So take a couple minutes and then I will close that time in prayer and transition us to the next one. Father God, we praise you this morning. We give thanks to you with our whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are your works, Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty are your works, and your righteousness endures forever. You have caused your wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. You provide food for those who fear you. You remember your covenant forever. You have shown your people the power of your works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of your hands are faithful and just and your precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and forever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. You sent redemption to your people. You have commanded your covenant forever. Holy and awesome is your name. Father, we thank you that you are a holy God and that we get to draw near. Not just do we get to draw near to you, but you want us to. You want us to. For that, we give you thanks and we give you praise. Next, let's look at the portion of the prayer that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we long for, give you some space to do this quietly, is for God's reign and his will to be done here in our broken world. In the midst of suffering, of pain, of a pandemic, of loss, in the midst of our reality, we want God's will done here. And as I give you space to pray that God's will be done, I want you to sort of think large scale and then sort of zoom in more and more sort of geographically local. So think first, world, nation, community, church. We're praying for God's will to be done here, okay? Let's do it. Lord, we uh, recognize that the world around us has fallen and is broken and is in great need. And as we think of ways that we want to see this the world around us transformed. Um, Lord, we want to see it happen according to your will. And so we just we recognize that here in the um, place that we live, that we are oftentimes sheltered from many of the, um, the sufferings of the rest of the world. And uh, Lord, we ask that your righteousness and that your justice would reign throughout this world. Lord, we ask for land that is far from us, uh, but also far from you, where there is little witness. We pray that you would send people, um, messengers to those people to hear the good news of the gospel. Lord, we, we pray for governments that, are, um, that suppress people and oppress people. 
um, and who act uh, wickedly. Lord, we pray that um, they would be characterized by justice and by righteousness that's defined by you. Lord, we think of our own nation and we think of um, ways that we have fallen short as a country historically and even just currently. Lord, uh, we think of the many things that divide us, social issues, political issues, um, and oftentimes it seems like more and more increasingly sort of hate um, towards people who are just different from us, who think different, who vote different, talk different, who look different. Lord, our, our country is broken, and we need your intervention. We want your will to be done. And so we ask that you would intervene for those who make policies and laws in our nation. Lord, would you steer and guide them um, to execute your will, Father? Um, we pray for our community, and um, Lord, specifically, we think of the many different churches, witnesses, outposts of your kingdom here in our community. Lord, it breaks my heart that so oftentimes we, um, with those who are even, who, who share the same faith, we don't, uh, we tend to, tend to draw lines and get territorial. I pray that you would help the church of Jesus Christ to come together in this community. Lord, I think of our brothers and sisters at Grace or Veritas or at the Kingdom Center or Good News. Um, Lord, I just pray for um, the church of Jesus Christ in this area to be able to come together um, for the sake of the gospel. Lord, I pray that your will, we see that that is, as we read through John 17, just the priority of unity among your people is so high for you. I pray it would be for us too. Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Finally, church, let's take some time to, um, to ask of God to supply for our needs. Um, towards the end of the prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but to deliver us from evil. We are a needy people. And God is a God who is so resourceful. And so uh, right now, let's spend a few minutes asking for him uh, to supply us the things that we need, the longings of our heart. Remember, prayer is pouring out our hearts. And so let's do that right now. Take a few minutes and ask of our Father. Father God, we are a needy people, and um, we thank you that we get to come to you and that you are a God who is able to not just hear our prayers, but you're able to answer them. And um, Lord, we just confess that oftentimes there's so much in our life and in this world that we take for granted. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have provided for us, and we ask that you would continue to do that. Lord, I think of those just even in our midst who are hurting right now, maybe with sickness and illness, Lord. Lord, I pray for healing for them. Lord, I pray for healing. Lord, I pray for those in our congregation this morning who may be struggling financially, maybe looking for a job or unsure of what lies ahead because of a change in career. Lord, we ask that you would provide for them. Lord, comfort them, help them to trust, strengthen their trust in you. And we also ask that you would meet their needs. Lord, we ask that you would draw near to those who are hurting. Um, Lord, maybe the loss of a loved one or a difficult relationship. Um, Lord, we ask that you would comfort them with your presence. Lord, you draw near to those who are brokenhearted, and we ask that you would do that right now. Lord, there are some of us here today who feel like 
we have totally dropped the ball. Who feel like maybe we just messed up beyond repair. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who offers forgiveness. And I pray that as they confess their sins to you, that they would receive that forgiveness that can only come from you because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who take sin and temptation seriously and that you, Lord, that you, Lord, would um, protect us from the many, many ways that the, the evil one wants to tear us down. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Church, would you um, stand and let's say this prayer together out loud, the Lord's Prayer, and then I'll lead us in um, communion. Let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Be good. Well, God meets us in the sacraments, communicating grace to us by means of water, bread, and wine. In the Lord's Supper, Christ offers his own crucified body, shed blood to and for his people, assuring them a share in his death and in his resurrection. By the Holy Spirit, he feeds us with this resurrection life and binds us, not just to him, but also to each other as we share in this meal together. So take out the elements.